Hey, this is Anthony Benning. You're listening to Fear the Sword Podcast. Jacked Frames podcast, Fear the Swords NBA Draft podcast. The 2019 NBA Draft is now 17 weeks away, and your Cleveland Cavaliers are set to pick 3rd and 21st as we record today on Thursday morning. I hope everyone has had a good all-star break and has been surviving without Cavs basketball. For myself, I've been catching up on my paramours over in EuroLeague with my favorite overseas players and watching a lot of SEC basketball. It's weird, but the SEC is actually good at basketball this year. We're going to be covering that conference specifically a lot today, as each segment will focus on the conference that normally ranks basketball as their third most important sport. As Cleveland fans, we should be pretty familiar with that feeling, so this should be a good show. Let's get into it. First, with a couple of pieces of news to break down here, um, both injury-related. First, uh, Kansas State's Dean Wade suffered his second foot injury in last Saturday's loss to Iowa State. Uh, Wade's a first-round prospect, kind of on the fringes as a 6'9 stretch four with pretty good shooting touch on pick-and-pops and defensive awareness, and you can make an argument that he should be on the table for the Cavs' second pick. But the second injury does move him down a bit for me. Wade missed six games earlier in the season with a partially torn tendon in his foot, and while this seems to be a minor setback, not nearly at that level, I still think it could hint at some long-term concerns for him. Foot injuries are very tricky, and while soft tissue, meaning muscle, ligament, and tendon, heals more reliably than bone at the foot, you still put a lot of stress through your foot, and problems there can throw off the way you run and jump, not just at the foot and ankle, but up the leg as well. Medicals are probably going to be a very big deal for him in the pre-draft process, and I'm probably going to be moving him down a little bit, even though he doesn't look like he's going to be missing a lot of time with this specific injury. The other injury doesn't impact a true NBA prospect himself, but it may open up some opportunities for legitimate draft prospects. Reed Travis of Kentucky sprained his knee against Missouri on Tuesday, uh, which is going to open up time and creation opportunities for the Wildcats' biggest draft prospects, Keldon Johnson and P.J. Washington. Travis takes on a lot of elbow creation opportunities in Kentucky's offense, and you have to think that some of those possessions will go to Washington as their other power forward that creates a lot from the same spots. But Johnson getting more responsibility is the bigger thing that I'd like to see with Travis's injury. He has an issue where he drifts in and out of games a lot, and he can go disappearing for large stretches of games, especially on the offensive end, and doesn't really seem to be very involved from a creation perspective. This injury could take a step towards helping us see if that's a schematic issue, as we've seen with John Calipari teams before, or if it's more of a Keldon Johnson problem, which could be because passiveness has been something that has been on the radar with him since his high school days. So this should be interesting. Hopefully, you know, Travis makes a quick recovery. Kentucky's a very good team and they need him to be successful, but we can still derive some value out of him missing some time because we'll see how each of these two guys ends up compensating for that in Kentucky's offense. But unlike in most years, we aren't here just to talk about Kentucky when we say we're going to focus on the SEC. 
Our prospect of the week comes from the state of, to the south of Kentucky, and while he's coming off arguably one of his worst games of the year against the Wildcats last Saturday, he's still a lottery-level player who isn't getting enough love in mainstream draft circles. When we come back from break, we're going to dive in on Tennessee's Grant Williams. So let's talk about Grant Williams. If you follow my draft watch guides at Fear the Sword and my big boards at the Step Back, you know I'm high on Williams, and there's good reason for that. Outside of him being a candidate for National Player of the Year on one of college basketball's best teams, Williams represents a skill set and player archetype that should translate very well to the NBA. He is currently ranked as my number 16 or as my number 14 prospect uh, at the Step Back. And he is a guy who is seen in the 20s on a lot of major draft boards. Um, so again, a guy that could be a lottery value that could be available for the Cavs at that 21st or 22nd pick, wherever the Rockets end up placing them. So let's dive in a little bit on first the background information for Williams. Williams is a junior for Tennessee. He plays power forward primarily for them, but he's a young junior. He's still 19 years old and is going to be turning 20 just before the draft. So that puts him about a year behind most junior or most juniors in terms of development. There's still some development potential there that we wouldn't normally see from guys who are his year in school. He's a six foot six power forward who weighs 235 pounds. There isn't a good quality wingspan measurement for him at this point, but probably safe to project him at around 6'9 or 6'10 in terms of wingspan. So he's a little bit undersized, but we'll get to why that isn't as big of an issue for me. The statistics for him 31.7 minutes per game, 19.1 points. 7.6 rebounds, 3.3 assists, 1.2 steals, and 1.5 blocks per game. Shooting splits 58% from the field, 34% from three, 83% from the line. So does a little bit of everything and has pretty good shooting splits here. If you want a good representative game of Williams' skill set, this is something that I'm going to start putting into these prospects breakdowns because it's one thing to listen to me sit here and talk about these guys and everything that they can do. And it's another thing to be able to go after that and go see for yourself. So I want to give everybody a good opportunity to see what this prospect looks like, both positives and negatives. So a good representative game for that is going to be from the NIT tournament, their matchup against Kansas. He had 18 points, eight rebounds and six assists in that game. Um, played very good defense against Dedrick Lawson, who's a draft prospect for Kansas and is probably their best scorer. Um, so I think that that game is a really good indicator for what I think Williams' skill set is. So let's get a little bit into that. First, talking offensive strengths. Um, Williams is a very versatile player. He can do a lot of different things and floats between different roles for Tennessee, depending on what the lineup is and the situation is. He can drift from a post-up player to running pick and rolls to setting screens to spotting up on the outside, all within the same possession and does so frequently. So that's something that is really interesting with him. The things that make Williams really good, though, are particularly his ability to drop drive on face-ups, and draw free throws. 
He is a very good driver using his shoulders and his upper body to be able to dislodge defenders and be able to carve out space in the mid post and on his way to the rim. Um, he's a quality finisher. He has really good touch, and that's something that's very important. And this year, he has exploded in terms of his ability to draw free throws. He is great at finishing through contacts, and he's averaging 9.2 free throw attempts per 40 minutes, which is absurd. You would like to see a player of his usage be around 6.5, maybe 7 is acceptable. 8 is really good. 9 and over 9 is is great for uh, guy, for being able to project drawing contact and finishing through contact at the NBA level. And that's good because Williams is going to need to be able to do that a lot because of his size. In addition, he has really good footwork coming off of screens and is able to get into his jumper really well. That's something that he doesn't do a lot of, but when he does get the opportunities to come off screens and get into a mid-range shot, he does a very good job there. Um, and his overall shooting mechanics are pretty solid from the mid-range. He gets a good lift out of his out of his lower body. Um, he has consistent mechanics on, on his release. His three-point shooting hasn't really been that strong at this point but I think that with more time he's going to be a guy who has the indicators that he's going to shoot that 83% free throw percentage is really good combine that with his touch and combine that with the mid-range shooting and I do think that he's eventually going to become a pretty solid shooter at the at the next level um last thing I would put in offensive strengths would be his passing vision he's really good at creating from the elbow and does a really good job of finding cutters and finding guys in the corners when he gets those creation opportunities and that's something that's really valuable for Tennessee because they don't have many guys who can create for others in that way. They don't have a true point guard. Um, they, they rely on a lot of kind of toolsy wings and being able to have that guy that can pass to multiple areas of the court and do so consistently is, is very important. Um, so overall, I think he, he's a very versatile player, could do a lot of different things at the NBA level, especially if the shooting comes along. But his main go-to is going to be the fact that he's great at drawing contact and finishing free throws once he gets there. In terms of offensive weaknesses, um, only a couple really here. I don't really think that he has high ups, upside as a scorer just because of his size and he doesn't have great burst and quickness so I don't think that that's going to be something that he can be projected to even though I do think that his scoring is going to get better um I do wonder if the shooting and passing are going to translate we don't know for sure that he's going to be able to shoot he looks pretty good from mid-range and he has good mechanics from three-point land but he really doesn't have many three-point attempts, only 32 attempts so far this season, and that's not really reliable for helping us project his shooting to the NBA level. So a um, little bit worried about that. Also a little bit worried that the passing isn't going to matter. I mean, he's a really good elbow passer, but in terms of passing within the flow of the offense, I don't think that he has the same level as when he's, you know, the primary initiator. And he's just not going to get those opportunities at the NBA level unless he's a really, really good finisher. So I get a little bit concerned that, while he is a good passer and that is valuable at the college level, that's not going to be something that translates to the next level. 
Um, finally, comfort with double teams is a little bit of an issue. He does panic a little bit and doesn't really have great vision to be able to see around bigger guys when they send the double. Um, so he can be a little bit turnover prone in those situations. In particular, the Kansas game, um, they started double teaming him a lot with with Lawson and one of their wings and late in the game, and he struggled with that. He had a couple turnovers and really didn't make good passes out of those situations. So that's something that I'm a little bit concerned with there as well. Um, the offensive end is a little bit less important for me than the defensive end, though. I think that he's a much stronger defensive player than offensive player at this point, even though he is such a good scorer for Tennessee. And I think that that's where his value is going to come at the NBA level. Um, defensive strengths, um, we talked, or we've talked about two guys so far in the past with Kobe White and Brandon Clark, who don't have very good, good frames, very thin, um, have good athleticism, but aren't very strong or beefy. Um, Williams is our first actual prospect on thick jack frames that has a thick jacked frame. Um, his strength is one of his biggest assets. He's able to def play as a four despite being uh, shorter than Keldon Johnson because he has such good strength. He uses his lower body, his pelvic stability and core stability to be able to keep bigger opponents away from the rim um, to be able to rotate over and block shots against bigger opponents. Um, he's overall just a very strong player, and I think that that's going to be something that's going to work in his advantage at the next level. Um, more important than that, though, is his intellect on the defensive end is something that is just so far advanced for so compared to so many other players in this class. Him and Cl and Clark in particular are on a completely different tier in terms of positional and rotational awareness than anybody else in this class. He makes good reads. He is able to switch and able to guard on the perimeter. He mirrors well against quicker guys, and he does a really good job of making those simple rotations that offer up a last line of defense contest at the rim. You can probably rely on him to be able to switch the pick and roll and to be able to take good angles and be disciplined on the defensive end right away at the NBA level. And I think that that's going to be something that makes him really valuable. In addition, despite his short size. He's a very good shot blocker. He has a career block rate of 6%, which is great for a guy his size. And I think that he is going to offer some value there just because of his mirroring instincts and his timing, being able to explode up and extend to be able to get the a hand on those shots. So I think that he's got the potential to be kind of like a weak side rim protector in addition to being maybe a primary switch defender across multiple positions on the perimeter. Um, and it's really hard to argue with that type of player. Weakness-wise, I think that there are going to be some things that he's going to have issues with, um, particularly athletic players. The game against Kentucky last, last Saturday, he really did not look good having to defend P.J. Washington because Washington was just able to use his athleticism and length to be able to kind of wrap his body around him and be able to get past him to be able to get to the rim. Um, I think that there are going to be guys that he is going to have particular issues with in terms of staying in front of them and really offering an impediment to that guy at the rim. I think of like Anthony Davis is going to be a guy who's going to give him a lot of issues. 
um, at the four. At the three, he's going to be a guy who's really going to struggle with like Giannis types um, who are able to just get up ahead of steam, be able to have that strength to get into him and also be able to blow by him with their quickness. Um, I think that that's going to be a problem. But most guys at the NBA level are going to have issues with defending Giannis and Anthony Davis. So um, it's not like it's a it's a huge problem, but we did see with Washington that he really did struggle with that. Part of the reason that he does struggle with that type of play is just he can be very flat-footed on his closeouts. I don't really like his technique there. And while he's going to make a good rotation, he doesn't do a good job of kind of keeping the guy in front of him um, to be able to actually make that good rotational sense into an effective closeout to be able to stop a potential shot. So that's something that he's going to have to work on as well. His footwork is going to have to improve um, for him to be a successful defender here at the next level. In terms of projection, I have him as a 3-4 hybrid um, who's going to switch across multiple positions, play some, play some three, play some four, um, and mostly be an accessory offensive player and primary defensive assignment taker um, at the NBA level. So I think that he fits kind of along the mold of something a lot of different teams uh, teams are looking for. He's going to kind of fit the same archetype as like Chetty Osman, but he's a different kind of player along that spectrum. Um, I think in terms of the floor outcome for him, I think that there is going to be a situation where he's not an NBA player because if his shooting doesn't come along and he never really does advance in terms of his footwork and that and that fundamentals to be able to compensate for his lack of quickness on the perimeter I think that he is going to have a hard time making his way into the league um and I think his floor is kind of like a um a guy like Jonathan Holmes of Texas who the Cavs had on a 10-day deal I think in 2016-2017 um and Holmes, while he is a guy who has a lot of tools and has a lot of ways that he could impact the game at the college level when he was at Texas, never really translated in terms of NBA play um, and ended up being a pretty good ACB player. Um, so I think that that's the type, that's the level that I would set Williams's floor at. Maybe he's not a guy that is a surefire NBA player, but he's at the very least going to be able to play basketball for a long time, whether it be over in the in Europe or here. I think the median outcome, and this is a guy that get, he gets compared to frequently, particularly by Ben Rubin of the Stepien, who absolutely loves Grant Williams. Um, just like with Brandon Clark, you have to read Ben's stuff on, on Williams because he does a really good job of making the case for why he's so valuable. Um, I think that a median outcome for him is probably Jay Crowder. Um, again, undersized guy who played full-time four in college, has a good amount of strength and really good intelligence on the defensive end, and most importantly, is able to kind of flip back and forth between that three-four spot, is able to take on defending centers and power forwards in some lineups, is able to take on defending some small forwards and some shooting guards if it's needed, uh, and really is able to be a versatile player for you to play in a lot of different lineups. Um, again, the shooting aspect there is pretty similar as well. Maybe Williams ends up being a pretty good shooter for a couple seasons and then kind of regresses for other seasons. That's a very good, uh, or that's a very likely outcome for him. Um, so I think that being a player on Crowder's level 
is, while it's not super enticing, especially for Cavs fans to hear because he was so terrible here, um, that's that's a guy who's going to be a rotation player in the league for a long time. Um, and when you're picking 22nd, you're looking for that type of guy. And I think that the ceiling, it's really hard to figure out just because if his shooting does end up being something that's reliable at the NBA level, it really kind of depends on what that or how far he's able to get as a shooter, because there's a situation where he maybe becomes like a 37, 38% three point shooter on volume. And suddenly you're looking at a guy who you can provide those elbow touches to. So I think that a ceiling would be kind of like a small Mark Gasol type where he's a very good defender. Um, you can anchor your defense around him and he provides those creation opportunities at the elbow and as a pick and roll screener and is able to provide maybe like 15, 16 points per game in his peak, but it's a very valuable 15, 16 that unlocks a lot of the rest of your offense. Um, so that I think is something that's going to be very valuable if he's able to shoot, that's the ultimate question with Williams. Um, I think that he is going to be able to, maybe not at the level of a Gasol, but at least at the level of a Crowder. Um, and I think that that makes him a very valuable potential player because of his versatility and because of how much he can do on the defensive end and how important that would be for the Cavs. That's why I would love the Cavs to take him because if you grab him, suddenly you have Williams and Osman being able to defend the two primary assignments on the other team every night and you're able to have some of the that off ball offensive responsibility be shouldered onto them that the Cavs really don't have like right now so I really like that fit and I think that you can get excited about him as a potential three and d type that could be a little bit more um if he's actually able to shoot um, so let's shift gears here a little bit. We're going to take another break. We'll come back and we'll talk about our three games to watch for the week um, in terms of who to watch for NBA draft prospects. And finally, let's let's come back and we will talk about three college basketball games this week that will be important to assess some different draft prospects. We've got one SEC game to continue our theme and a mid-major game that I think is going to be really interesting here as well. Um, but first, let's start with a requisite Duke game. Um, we saw Duke UNC last week. Um, Zion Williamson got injured, obviously recording this on Thursday. We don't know whether he's going to be available for this game next Tuesday. Uh, but still, something that's going to be interesting to watch regardless, because Duke is going to be playing Virginia Tech at 7 p.m. on ESPN on Tuesday night. Um, matchup that I really want to watch here is going to be Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who I have as a guy probably around 19 to 25 in terms of his draft spot going up against Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett. Um, Barrett and Reddish really struggled to score consistently in that UNC game. And part of it was because both of them had to contest with Cam Johnson, who was a very good defensive player for UNC. And they really struggled to be able to create 
efficient offense um, have, having to defend him. So I look at this game and I see Walk, Alexander Walker, who's a very good defender, um, good positional team defender, um, as well as Roberson for Virginia Tech, who's their other wing, if he's healthy. Um, that's going to be a very good matchup on the wing. Um, Reddish really struggles with um, with creating, and I think that he could be able to use his strength to be able to get leverage on Alexander Walker, but we'll have to see. And Barrett is going to have a really difficult time trying to defend Alexander Walker through pick and rolls because he's a very shifty and very strong or very smart cerebral pick and roll scorer. Um, so I think this this could be a really good test for Barrett and Reddish having to deal with uh, Alexander Walker on both ends, and I think that that's going to be something that's going to be really interesting to see. Virginia Tech has a very good defense overall, and I think if Williamson isn't in there and they continue to have these scoring issues, Duke could be in a lot of trouble. Uh, second game is going to be one that we have already talked about, on the, on this program so far, um, Kentucky and Tennessee are playing again. That's Saturday, 2 p.m. on CBS, the return match for the Wildcats to try to steal another win um, from Tennessee at home or on the road this time. Uh, matchup that I want to focus on. Obviously, we've talked about it. Uh, talked about what happened last time with Grant Williams and PJ Washington. So that's going to be really important. Seeing how uh, Williams is able to counter a lot of those post opportunities and pick and pop opportunities that kind of roasted him last time. Also, really interested to see how Washington does against Admiral Schofield. Schofield had a horrible time defending Washington and Keldon Johnson in the first game, and. And at the same time, Washington really did struggle with a couple of the backdoor cuts that Schofield loves to get going towards the rim. So I think that there is a potential for this to be a very exciting game if Tennessee is able to provide some of those counters to what, what Kentucky does offensively that they weren't able to last time. Um, so we're going to be focused on this game. It's a huge matchup, two top 10 teams in college basketball. Um three guys that I would rank as top 20 prospects in Williams, Washington, and Johnson. So this should, this should be considered your game of the week there. And then if you need a something on your late slate for Saturday night, um, I want to direct you to a very interesting mid-major matchup. Uh, 8.30 p.m. Saturday on CBS Sports Network, so you're going to have to probably find this one online. But Nevada is going to be playing Utah State in some Mountain West action. Now, Nevada, you probably know, a very good team. They've only lost once so far this year. Um, they're a top 10 team in college basketball. But you're probably not very familiar with Utah State, and that's a shame because you should be. Utah State has a guy that I would rank in my first round in terms of value. He's probably not going to come out this year, but he's a very interesting rim protection option that you should get some eyes on. Uh, he's a Portuguese player. His name is Nehemias Queda. Um, he is a 6'11 player who reminds a lot of people of Pascal Siakam in terms of his production. He's very raw right now. Doesn't make a lot of consistent plays on the offensive end. Doesn't provide a lot of value there and can and ends up fouling a lot on the defensive end. But he has some very interesting rim protection instincts that 
are going to project well to the NBA player. Guys that are this athletic with his type of rim protection instincts, they make their way into the league. And if it, even if it's not this year, he's going to be a valuable player to watch. Utah State also has Sam Merrill, who is a very good scorer, 19.8 points per game for him this year, hitting 39.9% from three on 6.2 attempts per game. So one of college basketball's better three-point shooters could be a summer league option there as well. Meanwhile, for Nevada, you got the Martin twins, Caleb and Cody, both NBA draft prospects in their own right. Caleb is probably the better guy because he's a little bit better at drawing free throws, um, a little bit more athletic. However, he does have one of the ugliest jump shots that I've ever seen. Um, a lot of hitches go into that jumper, but he makes it work and is actually a pretty good scorer uh, from the outside as well. So that should be an interesting game. See how Martin finishes against Quaida. See how Quaida holds up against what is considered a top-tier college basketball team. We haven't really seen him against top-flight competition quite yet outside of the Arizona State game. So I think that this could be a very valuable matchup for him in terms of assessing whether he actually is a first-round level prospect. So that's all we have for today. If you like the podcast, you can find it on Fear the Sword, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep an eye out for our other podcasts on the Fear the Sword podcast network as well. The Bottom with David Zavak, um, Locked on Cavs with Chris Manning, and the Chase Down, of course, with Justin Rowan and Carter Rodriguez. Best way to support is to subscribe and leave a review for all of us, um, which helps more people find the podcast. We'll be back next Monday with another episode and another prospect to break down. In addition, we'll be doing some mailbag questions. So send in your draft questions to lock or to fear the sword podcast at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at illegal screens. And we'll get to your questions next week. Hopefully we can, answer some draft questions you may have about some lower level prospects or if you have questions about John Morant, RJ Barrett or any of the guys at the top we'll be we'd love to cover those too. So in the meantime enjoy some college basketball, enjoy the Cavs being back playing the Phoenix Suns, so some more college level or college level basketball and we'll see you guys next week. Stay thick and stay jacked.